the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. South African law enforcement and regulators are getting a helping hand from abroad. It's become clear in recent years that crypto is one of the preferred methods for criminals and those financing terrorist activities to disguise what they're doing. And this certainly played a part in South Africa's grey listing by the Financial Action Task Force, or FATF. Blockchain technology was developed as an immutable record of all transactions going back to the very start. So it is, in theory, easy to track all transactions. The problem comes in attaching an identity to those transactions. Many of the most famous hacks in recent years were made possible by weak digital security, usually at the crypto exchange level. But the blockchain doesn't lie. You can steal from an exchange, but as soon as you try to spend that crypto, you could be traced. Crypto company Binance recently sent out a team to assist local law enforcement and regulators in the science of investigating and track down crypto crime. And we're joined now by Nils Anderson Root, Deputy Head of Financial Crime Compliance at Binance, and Jarek Jakubczyk, Head of Law Enforcement Training, also at Binance. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Kieran. Nils, tell us, why are you in South Africa? One of the main reasons for, for us being here is that we, uh, as Binance, one of the most important things is that users need to be secure. Our users need to, need to be able to trade securely. Users need to be able to use crypto in a secure manner as well. And that's like top priority for, for the company. That's basically why we are here as well. We need to um, engage with the people that can investigate crypto crime. As you mentioned, it is being used by criminals, obviously. And that is also why, um, why we want to engage with the partners, being law enforcement, being the judiciary, um, to sort of explain how we try to fight crypto crime internally but also how, um, how we can sort of educate law enforcement and help them uh, fight crimes as well. Okay, Jarek, you want to jump in there? Yeah, exactly. And uh, just to uh, follow up on the, what Niels uh, is saying, at Binance we really put a great emphasis on our close cooperation with law enforcement. We have uh, more than 70 people who are directly engaging uh, with law enforcement uh, authorities uh, around the world. And uh, of these more than 70, about 25 of us have a law enforcement background. So those are people like Niels or I, who uh, previously worked as financial investigators, cybercrime investigators, cryptocurrency investigators. So we speak the same language as the law enforcement. We understand uh, what their needs are. And uh, this is something that is really unprecedented in the industry. No other company comes anywhere close to Binance. Even if you put all the other crypto exchanges together, you would not get as many people with law enforcement background uh, working, uh, uh, working in them. And um, for us, uh, working with the law enforcement is really uh, about protecting the users. And uh, we are doing it not only through um, operational cooperation, but also through our proactive activities, such as delivering the training. So this is the reason why we are here um, in South Africa. Uh, we want to make sure the law enforcement knows how to reach out to us. They know what they can expect from us. They know what kind of support we can provide. And uh, really, this is part of the program that we are running all around the world. We have already uh, delivered more than 120 educational sessions around the world this year 
for law enforcement. And uh, this is the first time we are doing something similar for law enforcement here in South Africa. So this is uh, one and uh, this is one very important part of the overall jigsaw jigsaw puzzle. This is the real reason why we are here in uh, Johannesburg. All right. So you mentioned that you've got a background in law enforcement. What is your background? Indeed, uh, I, I, I started as a technical guy working for internet service providers, uh, mobile phone companies, but uh, I was always drawn to uh, to the law enforcement, always it was a dream of mine to uh, solve crimes uh, and investigate. So uh, that dream of mine uh, came to reality in Ireland, uh, even though, as, as you can hear, I'm definitely not, not, uh, not from there. No, I didn't think so. so. Yeah, indeed. So I spent a brilliant five years working for Irish police, but then I wanted to make a progress and then I wanted to spend more time uh, on uh, cybercrime investigations and cryptocurrency investigations in particular. It was obvious that I need to go internationally. And the options were either Interpol or Europol. And Europol was the first one uh, back in 2013 that opened cybercrime center for investigators, so that was my logical destination. So I joined uh, the Cybercrime Center and since 2014 I became uh, the the, uh, main cryptocurrency contact at Europol and I started supporting uh, major investigations in Europe and abroad. And Neil, same question for you, what's your background in crypto? Well, you can sort of look at at Yarek's background as well because it's quite similar, um, even though we didn't really know each other. My background is also in the network security industry, and then later I made a switch to to law enforcement. So I joined the Dutch National Police, worked on large organized crime cases, traditional uh, uh, crime uh, cases as well. And then later the Dutch police started a specific unit um, that started to look into dark web uh, crime with specific focus on dark web markets, so the illicit marketplaces on the sort of the hidden part of the internet. I became a, a project leader from the dark web uh, team in the in the Dutch National Police. Um, and one of our f- my first cases was actually a case that was looking into the one of the, the largest dark web markets, was the second biggest dark net market on, uh, uh, on the Tor network. Just explain what the dark net is. So the dark net is, if, if you look at the internet, there's like a public part of the internet, which you can use. As, so that's your, your Google or your, your, your general websites as well. And then there's also a part which you can only access if you use specific types of browsers. Uh, it's an, an encrypted part of the, uh, the internet. Um, if you Google, for example, on a Tor browser, you will see a specific browser which will give you access to that sort of hidden part of the internet. And that's the part of the internet where a lot of illicit activities happen as well. And then you have to think about illicit marketplaces where you can buy drugs or uh, ransomware toolkits or um, uh, stolen usernames, passwords, credit card uh, uh, details as well, but also some other hideous crimes as well. You can uh, hire a hitman. You can even hire a hitman. Even I um, wouldn't on recommend the dark it. net. Yeah, yeah, but indeed, yeah. but you can hire a hitman. You can sort of pay for it with crypto mm. uh, because that's sort of like the, the main currency for for those kind of crimes as well. So that was my main focus in on that particular team, uh, and the, the the largest case was actually um, identifying where one of the largest markets in the, uh, on the dark net was running, and then also trying to take it over. We actually ran it for for a couple of weeks to gather a lot of information and then take it down. After that, I went to Europol, the same place as Jarek uh, uh, was working, 
And there I became the um, the main specialist from the Europol Darknet team. They created a new team to basically sort of copy the things that we did in, uh, in the Netherlands as well. I mean, with the Tor browser, for example, you have layers of anonymity built into it. So you're going through, I, I guess, what is an extremely complex sort of VPN, virtual private network system. Is it possible to track people? Well, with criminals, there you usually have to look for the, the, the point where a criminal makes a mistake because you can use all kinds of anonymity toolkits. And, and uh, if you do it perfectly, it will be very hard for law enforcement to, to catch a criminal. But the fact that we were able to, to search for who was running a marketplace and where the marketplace was running and eventually even take it over while the criminals didn't notice it, that sort of proves the fact that, that you can uh, still fight crime on Tor networks. And one of the main uses of the main the, the, the key things to use is uh, for example also look at the payments for the for the transactions for people that actually buy uh, drugs but also try to locate the infrastructure and then see who's actually paying for a hosting company who's paying for the server and, and usually people use crypto and then but you mentioned the introduction as well crypto as an, a, a public ledger so as soon as you have one little pieces of information and for example if it's a cryptocurrency address you can use that to sort of see where it goes to and then if it's an exchange you can approach the exchange collect some more information and it might be the name of your suspect it might be an ip address it might be some some more information as well and then you can use that piece of the puzzle and link it together with the rest of the information and then try to identify the whole network. Yeah, just to support uh, what Niels, Niels is saying there, indeed, when you take a look at uh, dark web uh, investigations and you look at different success stories, people who were usually detected because of the transparent nature of the blockchain and because of investigators following the money rather than some inherent uh, vulnerabilities in the Tor. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's a famous case in Florida where uh, some, I, I, f- I think it was Bitfinex, that when that hack, that exchange was hacked and they stole something like uh, a huge amount of money, $500 million or more. And they sat on it for years because they know that on the blockchain, the FBI was watching. And that as soon as you move money out of those addresses, they don't know the identity attached to that address. But as soon as you move it, they can they can track it in real time, yep. Yep. which is what they were doing. But how the people got caught was one of the ladies involved. She went to uh, and, and and bought a gift card and paid for it with with crypto. And of course, at that point, they they could get an, an identity and email address, and from that they they arrested them. Exactly, and I can uh, I I was of course following this case uh, quite quite closely, and I can tell you quite frankly that this case would not be possible to solve through traditional investigation methods. Yep. So following the IP addresses, doing the open source research, uh, communicating with the uh, traditional communications companies. Uh, Of course, it was all part of the grant investigation, but the suspect would not be detected if it wasn't for uh, the cryptocurrencies and for following the money. And of course, it would be also very complicated to seize funds because in many uh, cases, especially linked to traditional finance, the suspects are able to conceal funds, they are able to uh, hide funds in a way that they cannot be recovered. And uh, as you know, in this particular example, practically all the funds that were stolen were uh, recovered uh, yes. later by, by, the, by the law enforcement. Yes. And, and Mount Gox would be another case. That was the 24, 2014 hack of Mount Gox, which at that time, I think, it accounted for 70, 80% of all the crypto transactions in the world. That was hacked. 
And at the yeah. time, it, was, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but of course, as Bitcoin appreciated it, it ended up being a massive amount of money. Now, most of that was recovered and has mm-hmm. been returned Indeed. as we speak to the owners, right? And it just shows the resilience uh, of uh, Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrencies uh, in that sense as well, because as you say, uh, Mt. Gox was a huge and dominant player at the time, and uh, all uh, its demise caused was a minor price, uh, like it was a price decline. And uh, of course, the Bitcoin has recovered mm. and it has fallen down and recovered many times again. So I've got to ask is, you, do yeah. you own Bitcoin? Uh, of course, yeah, to be honest, it. yes, I yeah. own Bitcoins. I, uh, I own Bitcoins uh, since 2013. This was also the reason why I became a cryptocurrency investigator, because uh, back in uh, 2012, 13, 14, the only people who were investigating uh, cryptocurrency crimes were law enforcement people who were cryptocurrency enthusiasts. You had to be both. You had to be an investigator and you had to be a crypto enthusiast because otherwise the topic would be too abstract uh, for you. So uh, at that point, people like me or Niels, we were playing with the technology as a hobby. We were sending uh, our own transactions. We were checking how these transactions are recorded in the blockchain. We were trying to interpret it, make sense of it. At that point, there were no guides, there were no manuals. So there was a lot of pioneering trial and error work uh, involved. So indeed, a lot of people who are currently work at Binance have been in crypto for many years. And practically all of us started as big fans of the technology. If I did not uh, trust the technology, if I did not believe it's something awesome and revolutionary, I wouldn't become a crypto investigator. And Nils, same with you. You own crypto, yeah? Yeah, although uh, not as much as I would have wanted to. <laughs> I mean, I was working for, for law enforcement. And then, of course, it's indeed experimenting with the technology. And like Yarek said, the tools weren't out there. So it was basically um, playing with Excel spreadsheets and doing your own research, basically. Later on, the commercial solutions um, came out that actually helped investigators a lot more. But indeed, you needed to experiment and see what actually happened in order to investigate this type of crime. And the interesting thing about Bitcoin and and crypto is that a lot of the criminals actually thought that it was anonymous. I think at at the beginning, everybody thought it was anonymous. It's actually sort of like pseudonymous, which means you have to connect an identity which exists somewhere. You have to connect that to the addresses on the blockchain. And I mean, yeah, in many of my cases, I proved that that's possible. Um, And for Yarek, the same uh, same as well. Um, And of course, it's not... And and just to pause you on that one there, because maybe this is information you don't want the criminals to know. But uh, is that something that uh, you keep very close to your chest or is that something that you're willing to share? Well, I mean, the the techniques are definitely something we're willing to share, obviously with law enforcement. That's also one of the main reasons why we are here to sort of share our experience. On one hand, share how we as a company, um, how we are helping law enforcement, um, how they can reach us, what we can do uh, to assist them in their investigation as well, but also to share some of our own experiences and uh, also on a very basic level, how to explain Bitcoin, how it works and how you can leverage the, the information in the blockchain and the, the knowledge of how a Bitcoin transaction works, how you can leverage that in your investigation. So you can, I mean, it, it's actually a lot more information than you have in traditional crime. I mean, I also used to work traditional cases and then you would have your wiretaps um, and maybe you would hear something about one person that um, was bringing one bag of cash to another person. Then you had your your observations teams and you had to monitor that and catch the, catch the, the, the criminals. 
maybe you see a bank account uh, somewhere. You had to s- send a subpoena to the bank. You have to wait. You get to get your details back. Then you would have to analyze those records. And then maybe a transaction to another bank. And you had to repeat the process. Again, a subpoena. Then wait for the results from the bank. What you can do right now with the blockchain is that I see a transaction to another address. I can see on that address what's actually happening. If it receives more money, if it sends all the crypto to another address or maybe a part of that address, and I can sort of slowly go from there until I had an exchange. And then I have to send the subpoena. But everything between that, those basically those addresses, so the originating address and the exchange address, is something I can just monitor without the need for additional subpoenas. So in that sense, it's actually a way more efficient way to investigate it. And that's something yeah, I used in my investigations, but it's not just me. Yarek is there as well. We have multiple other investigators that worked many different cases. And it ranges from, from child sexual abuse platforms um, to uh, drug trafficking platforms as well, even money for, uh, murder for hire cases, like you mentioned earlier as well. Uh, so we, we do have the experience. We know how it works. And now yeah, the main point for us is to use that to help law enforcement, but also use the knowledge internally to build our defenses, build the protections to sort of make it more secure for users to trade crypto as well. By the way, you work for Dutch police. Yeah. Are, are you Dutch? Yeah, I am Dutch. Yep. Okay. With a Swedish name? And a Norwegian name. Norwegian <laughs> name. Sorry. <laughs> and, and you are Czech. Czech. Jarek, you're yeah, Czech, yeah? My, my name is Czech, but yes, I really like traveling. So uh, Dubai uh, and United Arab Emirates is country number seven for me. Oh, wow. Okay, I want you to just explain, you've put in all of these filters and systems at Binance to try and cut down crime. Now, a lot of crypto crime happened in South Africa. You heard about Mirror Trading International, I presume, that originated here in South Africa, and that pulled in something like 29,000, perhaps more, Bitcoin, of which only 1,100 has so far been recovered. Now, you know, a lot of that would have been paid out to, because it was a Ponzi scheme, mm-hmm. it was paid out as rewards to the, the people who got in early. Take us through how you would set up a system to detect as soon as you can criminal activity and then prevent it. Yeah, that's, that would be a topic for a dissertation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm sure. in a nutshell, of course, you cannot have uh, proper money laundering, uh, anti-money laundering activities uh, on, the, on the exchange without knowing your, who your customers are. So the cornerstone of uh, everything is identifying the customers to have proper KYC, know your customer, in place. So this is, of course, uh, something that uh, Binance uh, has in place. Uh, we uh, basically every single active user of Binance had to go through a proper KYC procedure where they uh, upload the uh, identity documents, they upload their selfies. Uh, sometimes we have another ways uh, also uh, to, uh, to, to uh, identify the uh, to, to verify the identity. And then of course we are we have many other checks in place. For example, uh, we are focusing on uh, flows of money where the money is coming coming from, where the money are going to. And of course, like in the traditional industry, we can do the same thing like the banks can. We can ask people. But in addition, we are taking advantage of this transparent nature of the blockchain. So in addition to asking people where the money is coming from, we are also checking what the clients uh, say corresponds with what we see from the blockchain. 
So uh, we, are, we have a transaction monitoring in place, which means that we are using commercial tracing tool monitor for incoming and outgoing transactions. So we are not dependent on uh, what the clients are telling us. We are also able to do our own checks and that um, results in many proactive investigation from our end that we end up uh, referring to the law enforcement. But at what point would you start getting interested? Because you've got millions of transactions happening every day. At what point do you get interested and suspicious of a transaction? It depends on the, on the type of crime. I mean, we have the transaction monitoring systems, which on the one hand look at the same kind of things that banks are looking at. So we're, we're looking for specific money laundering patterns, um, which means, for example, uh, layering of transactions. Um, usually criminals don't send all their money in one particular transaction, but they try to layer it in smaller chunks because they know the systems usually catch for example, one big transaction for a million, but maybe it works if they try to use multiple different transactions from 10K, for example. So those kind of patterns are being detected, but that's, and there's a couple of other um, sort of fiat money, uh, money laundering patterns that we're monitoring for. If uh, the system generates an alert, that case will automatically go to uh, investigators. So they will look at the user, the user's activity, um, see if it sort of fits with the normal behavior of the user, and if it doesn't, they will escalate it further to a SAR investigations team, which are more, they basically start a more in-depth investigation, and um, that will then lead into a SAR filing, which will report it to, uh, to a local regulator. Um, and then the regulator can look into that and pass it over to, to law enforcement. Right, Nils, the question we often get asked by our readers at MoneyWeb is whether it's possible to recover stolen crypto. Now, we've spoken about Mt. Gox. A lot of that money is now going back to the people who lost it. And I think Bitfinex, that, that, that was yep. another hack there. I think a lot of that money has been recovered. Whether it's been returned or not, I don't know. But can you help answer that question? One of our readers, for example, he uh, wrote to us, and we, with the help of uh, CSR, which is a scientific research body here in South Africa, have developed a monitoring tool for the blockchain. They helped us track down. He Basically, his money was stolen. And they helped to track down, and, and some of it ended up at Binance, and we wrote uh -huh. to Binance and asked if they can put a freeze on that and see if we can recover. You probably don't know about that case. It's not a very large one, but um, we certainly got cooperation from Binance in that investigation, which we did ourselves. So th what is the answer to that question? Can people recover stolen crypto? Yes, they can. And we're actually working on that on a daily basis. Um, Binance has, has a law enforcement request uh, uh, team which handles law enforcement requests. If your money is stolen, the best advice is basically go to law enforcement, file a complaint, and law enforcement um, has to investigate that. Law enforcement can reach out to exchanges, and they can send um, subpoenas or seizures orders, and then uh, if the money is still at the exchange, it can be returned to the to the victims. Uh, so that's that's like the general process, a very fast track. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah, that, that's, that's the general process. In a more, um, if you look at it in more detail, um, our law enforcement request uh, team handles those requests, so they will analyze the request. Um, I think up till now for this year, we have over 50,000 law enforcement requests from agencies 
from across the world, basically. 50,000? Yeah, 50,000. In, in, in one year, yeah. well, so far this year? So far this year. Wow. Uh, over 50,000. Last year, we also had over 50,000. So there's a large number of law enforcement requests. And usually those requests are either RFIs, requests for information, but it's also freezing and seizure orders. And we, we comply with those, those seizure orders as well. Can you voluntarily do a seizure if uh, there's a suspicion that this might be stolen money? Well, there's, there's two things on the... I mean, we have to have a legal basis in order to um, to freeze funds or to transfer funds to another account. On the other hand, like Eric mentions, we also have proactive investigations on, on our end as well. So the law enforcement track is the official route to get back your money. So again, if you're a victim for a hack, please go to law enforcement. If law enforcement doesn't know how to investigate the crime, then of course that's another issue. But that's also one of the reasons why we're here to, and why we are basically doing all these workshops in different countries to explain how we work and what what you can do with, with crypto. But the proactive investigations is another thing because if our investigators in, in our investigations teams notice certain types of uh, illicit activities, and that can range from large hacks, um, uh, for example, from, from DeFi networks or, or other types of things, uh, and we see money flowing through our exchange, then we do take proactive actions and we do freeze the accounts. And we also proactively reach out to law enforcement uh, to help build the case and also say, like, okay, we did this and this and this. Um, the money ended up in these, these particular accounts. Um, if you send us a seizure order, then we can transfer the funds back to law enforcement. And again, law enforcement can send the, the money back to the victims. Right. I mean, one of the things, the complaints that we've heard in South Africa is the South African police are overstretched. They have too many yeah. cases that are unhandled. They're backlogged. And when it comes to cybercrime of this nature, that they just don't have the, the resources. Yeah. So what's your experience? You've been training them this morning. Do they have some? Well, I mean, that's not just in South Africa. That's basically anywhere. If you ask law enforcement if they have enough resources, then the answer is no. And they also have to prioritize. And that's, of course, always a, always a difficult question. On the one hand, we're trying to address the problem where law enforcement doesn't have the skills or the tools or the know-how how to investigate it. On the other hand, we also um, spend a lot of time on educating the, the public. So there's not, not law enforcement, but the general public that's trading crypto. Educate them to um, make sure they don't fall victim to crime. Right now, we're seeing a lot of activities related to fraud and scams and those kind of things. And the number one priority is to educate users not to fall victim to scams because then you can prevent crimes from happening of course mm. and that's that's another very important thing that we're focusing on as well we have a lot of uh, anti-scam um, uh, blog posts on our on our platform yeah. we also work together with with law enforcement uh, to post specific banners on there as well and um, the interesting thing about these events with law enforcement is also that we get some information back about the types of illicit activities that they're seeing so we can then implement it back into our controls as well because we do have controls in place that if there's suspicious activity on a particular account that the account will, for example, be uh, be locked for a specific amount of time or it will f trigger an alert and then someone will review the account. And we can engage with the user to see if it's normal activity or not or if they fell victim to scams. Yarek, maybe just take us through what are some of the trends that you're noticing in terms of crypto crime within the last year or two? Mm -hmm. No, uh, from what I can tell you, we can definitely see the effect of uh, public at large uh, adopting uh, cryptocurrencies at an uh, increased, uh, increased rate. Because uh, when I started with crypto investigations back in 2013-14, uh, uh, all the crimes were about ransomware and dark web investigations. 
Uh, whereas nowadays, um, you can see where as uh, more and more people are embracing cryptocurrencies, then of course, more and more people are also uh, targeted by the scammers who want to capitalize on this uh, increasing adoption of crypto. So for that reason, we are seeing, let's say, decreasing proportions of crimes related to traditional crypto crimes like dark web or ransomware uh, activities. We see uh, a relatively small amount of, let's say, uh, terrorism uh, financing or child abuse, these uh, highly important crimes. And we see huge quantities of... Um, different investment related fraudulent activities because uh, many people now they see uh, cryptocurrencies uh, as a way to uh, basically uh, invest uh, invest their funds and unfortunately uh, many people are not investing as much time as they should into uh, education. They are not doing their own uh, research. They are relying on advice of other people and Inevitably, once people uh, uh, depend on advice on, uh, of, of other people, they are vulnerable to become victims of scams. So this is unfortunately something that, that we see. And uh, also, there is a lot of uh, vulnerable individuals out there. There is a lot of people who do not really understand cryptocurrencies and they are still investing their money which uh, of course is something that we are uh, actively advising against against so if, if you for example follow uh, our messages and the messages of uh, our ceo we are strongly pushing this uh, do your own research before committing yeah. your money to the crypto right did yeah. you want to add something to that nils yeah i mean binance is is by far the largest crypto exchange, if you look at the trading volume. And we also see it as an, a sort of an obligation to keep the crypto space safe as well. That's one of the, the main motivations for me uh, of joining the company. Also, uh, by the way, when I joined the company, I joined together with uh, several other former law enforcement colleagues as well. A lot of colleagues from IRSCI, which also did a lot of... What is I? Uh, what? Fr from the the U.S. Um, uh, Internal Revenue Service, ah. and then the criminal investigations part. Um, they also worked on a lot of very large crypto cases, um, the Silk Road um, uh, cases. Welcome to video, and and uh, several Silk others. Road being a, a sort of dark net marketplace. The, one of the first dark yeah. net marketplaces, indeed. Yeah, um, but we sort of see it as an obligation to make the crypto space safer as well. We encountered Binance in a lot of our investigations because it was the largest exchange. And Binance was always a very compliant exchange as well. They, they would send us the results very quickly. Uh, and that helped us in our cases as well. Now we're on the other side. We have all this information, we have all this data, and we also have the ability to sort of make our exchange safer, but also make it safer for the whole, for the general public. And that's one of the reasons why, why I'm here. If I can speak for Yarek, probably also for Yarek, but I know many of the colleagues that we hired because we sort of expanded and, and the investigations team in Binance as well. All those people have the same the same mindset and the same drive. And the technology is, is great. Um, and of course, you can use it for illicit purposes. But if you actually look at the, the volume of that illicit activities compared to all the other transactional blockchain, that's a very small amount. Chainalysis is one of the, the the cryptocurrency tracing companies, like the the main uh, cryptocurrency tracing companies. It's Chainalysis, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and they estimated the the, the percentage of illicit uh, transactions on the blockchain from last year at zero to two four percent. And if you sort of make the calculation, then you're talking about billions, which is still a large amount of money. But if you look at 
the the uh, amount of or the estimated amount of illicit activities in the fiat space in the normal money monetary world, then you're talking about trillions. So it's it's a different factor. But of course, we still want to prevent users to fall victim from scams and 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 uh, make sure that criminals are getting caught. Um, but yeah, that's that, that that's basically the main reason why we're here. Final question to you, Yarek. Give us, a, a, a very quickly, a few tips for people who might be interested in buying crypto <laughs> because they've just heard on Facebook that you can earn mm-hmm. 10% a month. Is that true? Well, if you are approached by someone giving you financial advice out of the blue, consider it to be a scam. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. All right, final words, Yarek. Uh, final words. So, yes, uh, I... Uh, Like with any other technology, for example, with the internet, we could see that uh, typically the first uh, group of people who embrace it are criminals. If the technology is practical, if it works, criminals are the first one to uh, jump on the bandwagon. And not surprisingly, we saw this with crypto as well. Back in 2011, 12, 13, criminals were one of the first ones that who realized how practical cryptocurrency is to send funds around and to 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 store it uh, to store it um, uh, in a safe way and uh, we can indeed see this trend where the cryptocurrency abuse uh, according again uh, chain analysis one of the leading tracing companies decreased from about 20% of total transactions to uh, uh, about 0.24% transaction. So on one hand, yeah, we can... It's, we it's, can a, it's a massive endorsement of the, the policing that is possible with the blockchain technology and with crypto. Yes. Right. And, and the fact that people, the, you know, the, the exchanges themselves seem to be more alert to this. They, they're quicker on the ball in detecting these crimes. But I mean, that, that's uh, you, so. This this idea that crypto is one of the main sources of criminal activity or the main sources of revenue is is no longer true. It's a very tiny percentage of the total financial universe. Yes, indeed, indeed. So, uh, and yes, if you are speaking about let's say specific criminals activities, let's say if you are talking into uh, trade uh, on the dark web pl- platforms, then indeed you can mention that crypto is uh, one of the main payment mechanisms. But if you take a look at uh, 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 crime uh, that is happening in the, uh, uh, all around you, then of course crypto uh, only plays a very minor role in that one. Yeah, it's, it's a minor role. Of course, it's still important to take into account that it's there. Criminals use everything that they can use to commit their crimes. Um, and crypto is, is one part of it as well. Um, but because it's 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 one part of it, uh, it's very likely that criminals also still use fiat money. Uh, and that's also why it's important to, to work together. Um, as a crypto industry, it's important to work together. So we are working together with other exchanges. We're working together with other tracing companies. But we're also working together with banks because they those are the other part of the puzzle. Banks, uh, our u- users with a bank account might send money to us. Um, and then, uh, for example, people buy crypto and then uh, they, they transact. So we sort of try to engage with the different players in the, in, in the world to, like I said, to make the crypto space a little bit safer as well. But collaboration is another very important uh, thing as well to add. 
Indeed, yes. And uh, as we can see, the growing adoption of cryptocurrencies, um, we can see a lot of uh, huge increase in legitimate use. Of course, uh, increasing number of users means increasing number of targets. So this is exactly why Binance is investing a lot of resources, uh, both into crime prevention in the in our cooperation with law enforcement. And yeah, this is the reason why we are here. Yeah. Good. We're going to leave it there. Fascinating discussion. Thanks very much. That was Nils Anderson Root, who's Deputy Head of Financial Crime Compliance at Binance, and Jarek Jakubczyk, who is Head of Law Enforcement Training at Binance. Thank you both for coming in. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, Go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.